Hello and welcome. I'm BC, the founder of World Empowered, and thank you for tuning in to episode one of Oddcast, the podcast of World Empowered Dialogues. Um, Today we're going to start off, I'm going to be interviewed by Becca Ashcraft, one of my board of directors, and we're going to talk about my addiction and try to empower people to believe that uh, overcoming their addictions is a possibility in their life. Try to inspire and imbue a little bit of hope and inoculate people with the belief that no matter what they're suffering from, uh, whether it's sexual, chemical, Facebook, or shopping, uh, the, the addiction can be satiated in different ways, in healthy ways, and that we can overcome these challenges. So, welcome. Thank you, Becca, for agreeing to interview and participate in this podcast. Thank you. You're very welcome. I feel honored that you want me to do this with you. I am very excited and nervous, (laughs) um, officially putting this out there to the world. Mm -hmm. It's a nerve wracking experience. And now I'm subjecting myself to public ridicule. So should be fun. <laughs> Let's tell everybody about all the crap that I went through or put myself through, I should say. There's a lot of power in vulnerability, you know, and bringing, sharing your voice and talking about these things that are more private or personal or difficult. It can help other people to have the courage or strength to make the changes in their life like the changes you've made in your life. I think that's pretty much the only reason why I want to share. Mm-hmm. Um, if I didn't believe that there was value in the experience that I went through, I would probably just keep it to myself. Mm-hmm. So the same that I go and speak on suicide, my suicide attempts and, uh, trying to help people with that matter. I'm going to talk about my addiction today. I appreciate you doing that. Thanks. Maybe a place to start would be sharing a little bit about you and kind of where your life was maybe a little maybe just sharing like um where you grew up to give kind of a picture for listeners minds of what your environment was like and and what was going on in your life maybe right before that all started i don't know if right before is really relevant but uh contrary to popular belief A lot of people think that uh, only people that have gone through traumatic experience end up in addictive behaviors. Um, I was actually raised by two loving parents, uh, a cohesive household. Uh, My father struggled with alcoholism, but for all intents and purposes, I had a pretty good childhood. However, conversely, one of the things that I talk about extensively with suicide Somehow throughout my childhood, um, I was indoctrinated with the belief that I wasn't good enough. Um, A lot of people, it happens with friends that don't believe anything in them and they think they can never amount to anything. Sometimes it happens from people that believe too much in us. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of my case. Growing up, if I got a B, it should have been an A. If I scored one goal, it should have been two. Mm -hmm. If I caught an interception, I should have ran it back for a touchdown. Everything could have been a little bit better. And that's true. And on one hand, I'm exceptionally grateful for what that taught me. Mm 
Um, Where did that come from? That thought that it needed to be better. My parents. Okay. Mm -hmm. My parents always said, "Why didn't you get A's?" or why didn't you run th- run that interception back for a touchdown or something like that? All in good intention. They were trying to encourage. They were trying to bring yeah. out the best in me. They mm-hmm. they saw what I was capable of. They knew that I was that I could do more, and they were trying to help me see the best in me. Mm-hmm. So on one hand, it was incredibly powerful because I wouldn't have my commitment to excellence and the strive to always try to do my best in everything that I do without that. Conversely, I was also, I built a belief around that, that nothing I did was ever good enough. Mm-hmm. I understand. So what I've labeled it, I labeled it I-N-G-E, the I'm not good enough disease. Mm-hmm. I believe it's the plague of the 21st century. Um, it's a silent sorrow, a haunting malady that resides somewhere in the back of most people's hearts that deep down inside, nothing they do will ever be good enough. Mm-hmm. And when you believe that about yourself, um, you destroy relationships and you end up in self-sabotaging behaviors, whether it's cutting or suicidal ideation or addictive behaviors. Uh-huh. Um, when you believe that you're not good enough, no matter what you do, is never going to be good enough, eventually that erodes you and you have to turn to something to pacify that. There is a fantastic counselor. Um, he specializes in addict- addiction and addict- addiction rehabilitation. He said that all addictive behavior is nothing more than a way to pacify an underlying pain. And you can't treat the addiction until you treat the pain. Mm -hmm. And that was certainly my case. Um, My childhood was good. Parents loved me to the best of their ability. But somehow, I still believed that I was never good enough. When you look back on that or when you're thinking about it now, um, when you're thinking about it now, um, what was the turning point for you that when you, you decided to try methamphetamines? It wasn't a decision to try. It was relenting. I conceded to the attempt to not try. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like, Like I want to try that. More of an escape? It was more of a, I ran out of fucks to give. Oh, uh uh-huh. I remember I had been offered many, many times from quote-unquote friends, um, co-workers, and I had always resisted. I'm not going to do that. I'll stick to alcohol and weed. (coughs) And... Yes, my drug of choice was methamphetamine. Um, I went to a party. It was an all-night party. Was there from like 11 p.m. until 4 a.m. or something like that. Slept for an hour, hour and a half, and then had to go to work. That day at work, I show up, and I'm still hungover and tanked, and my I was dragging, and uh-huh. somebody said, hey, go take a bump. And I was just like, fuck it. I don't care anymore. And my problem, the 
part of the reason why it was so addictive for me, the methamphetamine. Um, I don't know if it's something with my metabolism or sinuses or whatnot, but if I would take a bump at eight o'clock in the morning, I wouldn't be able to sleep that night. Oh, wow. I would literally be awake for 20 to 24 hours. Well, guess what? You wake up or you go to work the next day and you haven't slept and you're dragging a day again and you're coming down and the only way to make it through another day of work is to have another bump and then I wouldn't sleep and then I would, and it's just a cycle. So I, was gonna say- I had friends that could, that could do it at 10 or 11 at night and be in bed asleep by one or two in the morning. And I have no idea how they did that. But uh-huh. for me, if I, if I tried it at eight in the morning, I wouldn't sleep that night. Uh-huh. So it was, it was an unbreakable cycle immediately for me. Wow. The first time I did it, I didn't sleep that night and I was already hung over from that party. And then, then I had to go to work the next day and it was like the only way to make it through that day is to have another bump and, then the cycle began, and it carried on for about two and a half years. Two and a half years. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it just kind of became your life or your reality. Yeah, it's like it was my coffee. Uh-huh. 90% of Americans, adult Americans, wake up in the morning, and before they can even get out of bed or get on the way to work, they have to have that cup of coffee. Right. Um, that drug became my cup of coffee. I couldn't wake up and get going and do anything and be productive without it. Uh-huh. I'm wondering how it changed you, like during the time, like how it may have affected your thoughts, your perceptions, <laughs> your, um, your emotions. How did it change your life? When I was in it, I didn't realize now that I'm, let's see, I quit the drug when I was 23. Uh-huh. So now I'm 17 years removed from it, clean, and haven't done any illegal illicit substance since. But now having been removed and I have a 30,000 foot overview of it, um, the most obvious emotional change was the paranoia. Mm-hmm. I constantly believed that everybody was out to get me. Everybody was talking bad about me behind my back. Everybody was trying to sabotage me and and get me. Just the paranoia. Wow. And that's part of the reason why I ruined all of the friendships and the real relationships that I had in my life. Uh-huh. Um, some it- of that could be attributed to the drugs. Some of it could be attributed to the fact that I was sleeping on on average four to six hours a week oh wow not a night four to six hours a week um that doesn't it doesn't do a whole lot of wonderful things for our brain function (laughs) sleep deprivation yeah excuse me i'm i'm just trying to imagine that for myself um how it'd be hard to function at all it seems like you know that's why the cycle is so challenging to break mm-hmm. right it's once you're in it you can't function without it mm-hmm. coffee and red bull don't substitute uh-huh. so yeah once you're on that stuff it's pretty hard to get off yeah it sounds like it um your relationships changed i ruined all of them mm-hmm. either through my apathy and lack of effort I would just 
stop talking to people or through, like I said, my paranoia. Um, when you mistrust somebody, you're naturally aggressive. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I ruined all the re- relationships I had. When you're describing that, it just sounds very isolating. And, um, I guess isolating, made it made you withdraw from the world in a lot of ways. The only people I felt, quote-unquote, safe with were my, quote-unquote, friends who were also tweaking. Mm-hmm. The other drug addicts who cooked and sold and participated in the activity of consuming the drug Um, because I knew that they didn't judge. Uh Ultimately, I think one of the great human yearnings is unconditional love or to be in an environment of judgment-free. I would agree with that. So, if I didn't already feel like a piece of crap, I wouldn't have done the drug. Doing the drug made me feel like a piece of crap, and I couldn't hang out with or be around quote-unquote normal people, people who were sober and didn't do the same things. So the only judgment-free zone were the people in that circle of influence. Mm -hmm. Right. So I wasn't, like isolated I wasn't agoraphobic uh-huh. but I only associated with the people that also did that right which they were providing that feeling of acceptance and um, being able to be who you were but they were also part of the cycle that was keeping you in it would exactly that be, would that be true right to say it's part of the reason why it's, in my estimation, one of the biggest reasons why addiction is so hard to overcome yeah. is that judgment-free zone, mm-hmm. that feeling acceptant. Um, we're all looking for our circle of influence, the unconditional love. And when we find that, albeit in an unhealthy environment, um, it's impossible to walk away from it. You have the chemical addiction to the substance itself. You have the psychological addiction to trying to pacify the negative beliefs and the traumatic emotions that you don't want to look at and you don't want to feel on a daily basis. And then you're finally around a group of people who feel all the same things that you feel. And that's the hardest thing to walk away from. The, the chemical thing is hard to walk away from. That's incredibly painful in a lot of instances, physically painful. Mm-hmm. Whether it's alcohol or heroin or meth, it's really physically painful to get away from. If you stop doing the substance, then you have to look at your thoughts, and that sucks. But to leave the only comfort zone, the only safe social network that you have, it's impossible. That's why it's so hard. And that's part of the reason why groups, 12-step groups like AA and Al-Anon and whatnot are effective because they provide a substitute, a surrogate for that acceptant dynamic. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. 
that kind of leads me into something else I wanted to ask you. Maybe one of the most important questions is what was it then that made you decide to stop? It wasn't a choice. <coughs> I didn't, I wasn't able to preface the story by the most important experience in my life, which was my motorcycle accident. Mm -hmm. um, August 8th, 1997, I was riding my Honda CBR 600F3 down Willocks in Fort Collins, Colorado, and doing 85 and a 35, and a little green pickup truck pulled out in front of me, and I broadsided him. I had compound fractures of both of my femurs, six broken ribs, my heart stopped in the ambulance on the way to PVH, the hospital. It stopped in the ER when they were trying to put me back together like Humpty Dumpty. Mm. And then again, on the third day, my lungs filled up with blood and bone marrow. And when they mm. went to intubate me, my heart stopped again then. Um, so fast forward four and a half years later, I'm sitting on a park bench I had been addicted to the drug for two and a half years. I'd lost every friend and family member that I cared about. Um, and I hadn't slept for almost three days. Wow. And this was a hot August evening in a park where there's normally kids fishing and playing soccer and hide and seek and on the playground. It's normally packed around 6.30, 7 o'clock at night. And the sun's just getting ready to go behind the mountains and it's cascading a beautiful golden hue. And I'm sitting there on this park, park bench feeling alone and destitute and completely worthless. And I look about and there's nobody in this park. Hmm. And it just, it exacerbated that alone feeling, right? Like in right. this park that is normally a place to go and realize that humanity is there and people are happy and there's something to look forward to. And my life wasn't the only life, you know, and I'm looking around and there's nobody there. And I started to cry. Wow. And I don't know what your belief in a higher power may be, whether you call it God or Ganesh or Krishna or the universe or whatnot, but something spoke to me in that moment. Uh -huh. And it said, if you don't stop what you're doing, we're gonna take it back. Do you remember when you were five years old and your parents were trying to leave and you wouldn't put your shoes on? Hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, I remember They're like, times Becca, like that, right? <laughs> put your shoes on. We got to go. Yeah. And you keep playing. You ignore them. Five minutes later, like, Becca, put your shoes on. We got to go. You keep ignoring them. You keep playing. Five minutes later, they're like, Becca, <laughs> I am not going to tell you again. Yeah. And you're just like, whoa. That probably happened when I was 15 also. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> And 18 and yeah. maybe yesterday. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <coughs> but uh, that is exactly, that's the best way that I can describe how that singular sentence impacted me. If you don't stop what you're doing, we're going to take it back. It was like, whoa. No ifs, ands, or buts. Yeah. No questions about well, what if I just cut back a little bit? Or what right. if I only do it on the weekends? Oh, it was a, if you don't stop what you're doing, we're going to take it back. And I knew immediately what it meant. Yeah. Wow. 
that day that I wrecked my motorcycle, I should have died. I could have died. Some council or coalition or higher deity or something made the decision not to take my life that day. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't stop what I was doing, do an about face and start heading in an entirely different direction, that gift of a second chance would be taken back. No ifs, ands, ifs, ands, or buts. Sounds like a very... Put your shoes on. Yeah. Oh. (laughs) Okay. It was a profound moment. Maybe an empowering moment. Or that that may have come later. What it did... It was like fast-forwarding the movie. Hmm. In that instant, I knew where that rabbit hole led. I knew the outcome of that continued behavior. Mm -hmm. So since then, in this process, I've come up with a philosophy that you can quit pretty much anything that you're suffering from, any, any addictive behavior. You can quit and walk away in a moment if you can make the pain of the alternative, i.e. the pain of not quitting, more painful than the act of quitting. Yeah. So in that moment, it fast-forwarded the movie. And I saw the outcome. I saw where that rabbit hole ended. And that was so painful to realize that if I did it again, if I continued on the path that I was going down, that my life was going to be over. Uh-huh. In that moment, I quit. Wow. It was a deterrent strong enough it overpowered the desire to continue? Not the desire, because the desire is still there. Ah, okay. There was a day last week where I had a crappy night's sleep, and I had a lot to do, and I thought, oh, I wish I had a bump. Uh-huh. The desire will probably never leave me. Uh-huh. Um, but it was something that counterbalanced the desire. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. If you picture the scales of justice, yeah, um, it was a weight so heavy that it was able to overcome the desire, Mm -hmm. the urge, the craving, the addiction. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. When you stopped, what were some of the biggest challenges for you during that time? Uh, Aside from the chemical addiction and having to come down from it and then living life as a normal person without that 10,000 volt injection of energy every day. Um, Remember, I spent two and a half years destroying my real social network and embedding myself in this drug group. Um, My friends were not only addicts, but they also cooked and distributed. These guys were paranoid beyond measure they had cameras all over the house they slept with 12 gauges and nine millimeters under their pillows um i'm pretty sure that they buried people out Mm -hmm. in the out in the plains they they got rid of people that they didn't trust and i couldn't just stop hanging out with that group Uh i couldn't just not show up i was there every day Uh i knew that if i just stopped showing up that they would think that was something was up and i would probably end up with a knock at the door or a gun in my mouth at four o'clock in the morning or something like that. That sounds very scary. What I decided to do was confront it head on. And I I sat down with him and said, look, I'm I'm not a narc. I haven't been caught by the DEA. I'm not wearing a wire. I pulled up my shirt and I'm like, I can't come here anymore. If I continue to do this, I'm going to die. And I had to hope 
that they could see the fear in my eyes and the sincerity in my heart and believe it. And I remember them staring across the coffee table at me with these dead eyes. And the silence seemed like hours, but after like two minutes, they were just like, get the fuck out of here. And I just picked up my stuff and left. Wow. So that was probably the one, one of the hardest parts of leaving it. Like I was saying earlier, uh, you have to walk away from your social network, the only accepting group that, it, that you had. Yeah. And then go back and face all the people that you've alienated uh-huh. or live under a bridge. I mm-hmm. didn't want to live under a bridge and I didn't really want to move to a different town. And mm-hmm. so I had to go back and face the music. What was that like? I don't really know. I haven't given that any thought. Hmm. I feel like I'm still, even though 17 years removed from it, I feel like I'm still trying to rebuild those bridges, uh-huh. uh, rebuild belief and trust in some of the people that I hurt most. So I can't pinpoint and say what it was like going back there. It's an on- it sucked. ongoing process. It sucked. Yeah. <laughs> I can't yeah. describe it more eloquently. It fucking sucked. But it didn't stop you. What was the alternative? Living under a bridge or continuing down the path that had a dead end? Mm-hmm. A question I'm thinking of, I'm not sure if I know how to ask it. Stopping an addiction is extremely difficult. Um, it takes a lot of courage. And like you said, your relationships are tied to it. So you're giving up more than just the addiction. You're giving up everything. It can, I guess I'm wondering, uh, what, what were some of the, what did you draw on within yourself? Maybe some of the um, strengths of who you are. What helped you to get through that time? Helped you to keep going? The best way I can describe it, first of all, I, I want to give everybody listening a gift. Anybody that knows anybody that's struggling with an addiction, please buy and read the book from Viktor Frankl called A Man's Search for Meaning. Um, it's V-I-K-T-O-R-F-R-A-N-K-L, Man's Search for Meaning. In there, Viktor Frankl says, there's nothing in this world that would so effectively help one to survive even the most atrocious experience as the knowledge that there's meaning to one's life. When I was sitting on the park bench and I heard that voice speak to me, it wasn't audible, it wasn't in my ears, it wasn't my subconscious because I was intimately familiar with the voices in my head. <laughs> um, it was something, it was a voice that echoed every cell of my being. And when it said, if you don't stop what you're doing, we're going to take it back. Suddenly, I was inoculated with the belief that there was a purpose to my being here. Hmm. Somebody or something or some council of some things made the decision not to allow me to die the day I wrecked my motorcycle. So there must be, I was able to draw a corollary off of that. There must be some reason why I didn't die that day. I should have. Mm-hmm. There's no logical explanation how I survived. I hit that truck so hard that I blew out two of his tires. I moved him four feet. I had compound fractures of both my femurs. One of them severed my femoral artery. 
the lady right behind the guy that I hit was an EMT on her day off, and mm. she used my belt as a tourniquet. Oh, my gosh. I still got six units of blood transfused in the ambulance ride. Oh my my little 165-pound frame only holds five to six units. Uh -huh. There's no logical explanation how I survived that. It was divine intervention. Something allowed me to survive. If something beyond me wants me here, there must be a reason. Mm -hmm. So I think to answer your question, that belief that as long as you wake up and air fills your, your lungs, there's something that you're meant to do. There's some gift that only you can provide to the world. Mm -hmm. I began the search for that, but that's all really required was that belief that there's something about me. There's some reason why I'm here. There's some way that I can impact somebody or a group of somebody's or something. Mm -hmm. um, it's powerful. I don't know if I remember the question exactly now, but I think that pretty much covers it. Yeah. I was just asking you what it was within you that helped you, I guess, in a sense, stay strong, you know, during all that time. Yeah, I guess succinctly, it wasn't a gift that was in me or some power or strength that was in me. It was that message that gave me the realization that, okay, dude, there's some reason you're here. Mm -hmm. There's something that you can do. And trust. Yeah. You had 100% okay. trust in that. When you have that kind of experience, mm -hmm. that divine intervention and something speaks to your soul that profoundly, you can't not have trust. It's impossible. Uh -huh. So, yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. It's... I'm just still thinking about what you went through and what you described. It's just, um, it was an amazing, I don't even know if I can think of the words, experience that you went through. And you came out. I don't out think it was amazing. <laughs> amazing, maybe. I don't It was amazing in a sense of the word definition, I think, of everything that transpired and also what you realized and how you decided to move forward. Is there anything in your life that is a particular challenge? Definitely, yeah. In different things at different times, for right. sure. Mm -hmm. I, think I don't life... think that there's anything amazing or special about my story. Mm. I think pretty much exactly the opposite, actually. I think if there's anything ma amazing about my story, it's the fact that everybody is going through it. Mm -hmm. I remember it's, it reminds me of that, somebody was interviewing the Dalai Lama and they asked, you've seen so much pain and suffering and your people are going through so much trauma and grief and starvation and torture and death and yet you, you have this profound compassion for all humanity. What is it about you, sir, that makes you different? And his reply was, what makes me different is I realize we're all the same. Hmm. The only thing amazing about my story is that everybody is going through it mm -hmm. in one form or another, whether it's Facebook and Instagram or shopping or sex or alcohol or whatever, everybody has the same struggle. 
I would agree with that. I love that, what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> Which part? I don't even remember. Uh, the whole part. <laughs> I think that's very true. Um, life, I think that life is constantly giving us experiences that give us something. The challenges we face, the sorrows, the suffering, also the joys. They're all giving us something. Uh, we just have to listen and pay attention. I'm wondering what that experience gave you. There was nothing more profound or impactful that I have more gratitude for than the belief that there's some reason why I'm here, that it can all be wrapped up into that, that there's something that I'm meant to do to impact the lives of people. Mm. Um, obviously, understanding that I can overcome pretty much anything from my motorcycle accident to financial struggles to the addiction, but... Uh, the belief that we are all here to make a positive impact on the world has been the greatest gift of all. Muhammad Ali once said that being kind and doing good is the rent that we should pay for our time here on earth. Mm. When I read that, it like jumped to my soul. My heart leapt out of my chest. It's like, <laughs> yes! That's uh -huh. what I'm talking about. Uh -huh. That's what I mean. Like, we're here to do something good. Like, our purpose on this planet isn't to live our lives. It's to do something positive, whether it's doing an important job or raising a child or having a conversation like this. But uh -huh. we're here to do something good. Mm -hmm. And I think it was Jim Rohn said that, or Napoleon Hill, with, within every setback or difficulty lies a seed of equal or greater success. Hmm. Yeah, it was uh -huh. Napoleon Hill. Uh -huh. um, like you said, everything that happens in our lives, whether we enjoy it or not, whether we appreciate it or not, every experience that comes unto us is a gift and it's brought with a purpose to give us something positive. I don't believe that the universe is vindictive or manipulative or keeping score and and doling out punishment for bad decisions but everything that happens to us is an opportunity for our growth within mm -hmm. every setback or difficulty lies a seed of equal or greater success right there's a poem i don't know who wrote it but it said one ship sails east to the other west by the self-same winds that blow tis the set of the sails and not the gales that determines where we go um shit happens to all of us all the fucking time yeah and it's what we do with it that determines the outcome mm -hmm. it's the set of the sails it's how oprah can be raped and live a black woman impoverished and turn out to be the most recognized and influential person possibly on the planet right now mm -hmm. and then somebody else ends up in the slums or unfortunately passed away from an abuse or an addiction uh -huh. it's what we choose to do with it um yeah i'm off track no you're not that's rain me back in no you're not off track at all i think what i hear you saying a lot is our 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 response to the things that happen and um being able to pay attention but there's also something within in yourself too i think uh, a sense of courage, or maybe it's trust. 
um, to just to take that one step, that one, make it a small, realistic, definable step to start moving forward. Um, sometimes those small things that we do start setting the course, like you said, with the sail, um, to change everything. Because of my motorcycle accident and the conversation on that park bench, I do have an unshakable, unwavering trust in the divinity of the universe. I do believe that everything is exactly the way that it's supposed to be, working towards our benefit. And when I feel called upon to trust that divine inspiration, my intuition or something that's speaking to my soul, I follow it because of that. Mm -hmm. Because I know that I'm being taken care of. Yeah. Something is looking out for me. And that's true of everybody breathing today. Uh -huh. I, I, if there's one thing that I wish that I could... If there were a panacea, some way to inoculate the world, one gift that I wish that I can imbue unto everyone, it's that realization that as long as you're breathing, there's something that you're meant to do. Mm -hmm. As long as you woke up today and air fills your lungs, there's more right in your life than wrong, and the universe is taking care of you. Yeah. God, whatever you want to call it, you're being taken care of. Life might suck. For a lot of people, life is awful right now. Mm -hmm. I know people living in their cars. I know people in abusive relationships. I know people that are suffering with incredible addictions. Yeah. Self-harm and suicidal ideation. And um, Sorry, this is really hard for me. Take your time. It's really hard to believe when you're in the pits of despair and the entire world seems black to realize that the universe is still looking out for you but as long as you're alive that's the truth that's the reality and I don't know how to help people to see that I don't know how to make people feel that but that's the reality if you're breathing the universe is still taking care of you, mm -hmm. even if life sucks. And there's a gift that only you can bring to the world. Only you. If somebody else were meant to do it, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't exist. Only you. Find that gift. Find a way to deliver that gift to society. Might be art, might be music, might be conversation it might be writing it might who knows but there's a gift that only you can bring and the universe is looking out for you thank you i had a last question but i think you just answered it and it was was the question of what would you like listeners to know um i think um what you just shared is a good place for us to stop to give time for thought about yeah, that feels appropriate. And I, I really appreciate you being willing to share your story and also um, how that experience has changed your life. 
um, and brought you to where you are now. I feel that my purpose on this earth is to either plant a seed or water one. And I hope something in my sharing of my story can plant a seed or water one mm -hmm. in the hearts of the listeners. If you've liked what you've heard today, please subscribe, rate, and review, and all that fun stuff that podcasters ask people. And <laughs> thank you for listening. <laughs>